0: Welcome to Autism in the Adult Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Teresa Regan, an adult neuropsychologist. I specialize in brain behavior relationships for those 14 and older. I'm the parent of an amazing teen on the autism spectrum and a certified autism specialist. I am deeply grateful to bring validation, hope, and purpose to individuals and their families living on the autism spectrum. With this mission at its core, I founded and currently direct the OSF Healthcare Adult Diagnostic Autism Center in Central Illinois. My books include Understanding Autism in Adults and Aging Adults and Understanding Autistic Behaviors. For more information and to join my online community for free, visit www.adultandgeriatricautism.com. Please join me in helping individuals, couples, and families thrive while living life on the autism spectrum. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast Autism in the Adult. Today, we're going to be talking about autism and eating disorders, and we'll also review just generalized eating patterns. For those of you who didn't know that those two things can go together, I'm hopeful that this really gives you some good information to understand yourself and those around you. We don't know all there is to know about autism and eating, but we do know that the presence of autism within eating disorder populations is higher than expected. So in the general population of people around the world, we expect to see about 2% of individuals on the spectrum. For people who have eating disorders, we see higher rates of diagnosis and of characteristics of autism than we would expect. So, higher than that 2% rate. And depending on the studies that you review, you'll see some varying amounts of percentage, and those will go up to even about 20 to 23% of people who are. Uh, being seen for eating disorders that are also on the spectrum. It may be lower than that. The only thing that we know with precision right now is that it is higher than that 2% that we would expect to see just based on the basic population of people. There are so many reasons that this makes sense neurologically. So autism is a condition of neurology. It's that the brain has connected in a certain way and that pathways respond differently to the world than is most common in the population. Now, one characteristic that may be present in autism that affects eating is in the area of sensory processing challenges. This is an autism characteristic that is often present but is not required for a diagnosis. And it has to do with the way that the individual on the spectrum responds and reacts to things in their environment. And this includes overreactivity. By that, we just mean a really heightened sensitivity to sensory inputs from the environment. Examples of that would be that sounds feel so loud, um, lights feel so bright, and it's uncomfortable. So there's a heightened reactivity. Other times people experience underreactivity, reactivity and that's also a sensory characteristic. So someone might not notice if the fire alarm goes off. Uh, they might not notice if the lights are on or off. They're just kind of underreactive to that stimulus in the environment. And also within the sensory processing characteristics We can see unusual fascinations or fixations with sensory input. So one person on the spectrum may love to watch things spin, uh, wheels turn, the fan spinning around, and that may be fascinating. Another person on the spectrum may love to hear certain sequences of sounds and they may babble those sounds or speak those sounds or sing those sounds, or they might listen to a certain tune or cadence over and over because the sound sequence is fascinating. It's very common for people on the spectrum to have overreactivity to some inputs, for example, sounds or touch and underreactivity to others. So someone may be underreactive to the sense of cold and they go out in their shorts in the winter, or they may be underreactive to pain and not realize that they're sick or injured until much later. For individuals on the spectrum who have this heightened sensitivity to Touch inputs in the mouth. So, this is texture. Oftentimes, the reactivity to food has to do with the texture of the food um, rather than specifically the taste or the smell, although sometimes all of those combine. The person with that heightened sensitivity to the texture of food might complain that the food is too mushy or too wet, too crunchy, too dry. Uh, too pasty. So they might be very sensitive to what the food feels like in their mouth and therefore very selective about what they'll eat on any regular basis. This individual may be highly attuned to differences in brand of food or the cooking style of the food. They might be very sensitive to changes in the day-to-day preparation of the food. So maybe the sandwich is made the exact same way, and yet they can really detect these small changes from day to day. They might say, no, it's it's too mushy today, even though it's really made, you know, as far as we can see, the same way. But they have that really heightened sensitivity to small changes in the texture of the food. This sensitivity to food can lead to a very narrow nutrition profile. So this may be someone who will only eat five foods or 10 foods because these are the ones that really um, feel good texture-wise, they taste good, they're uh, repetitive flavors and textures. A person who's underreactive to the texture of food Maybe the person who's an adventurous eater. They may eat anything, regardless of temperature or texture, regardless of flavor. These individuals may try uh, really adventurous foods that others would not try, or they'll eat food that is too salty or it's burnt, and they just don't seem to notice that there are nuances in that food that other people would pick up on. So the adventurous eater is typically not the autistic who will be diagnosed with an eating condition. It's the sensitivity that reduces the range of things that people eat, and therefore this individual may be really low on particular nutrients. They might be low on protein or vitamins, and those nutrients are important for the brain itself. So it's kind of this circular struggle where sometimes there aren't enough nutrients, and that makes things a little bit harder for the brain to think and work efficiently and clearly. Years ago, I met with an individual who had medical conditions that were impacted by nutrition, and one of those conditions was diabetes, and I asked her what she eats and she said that she eats mashed white potatoes. And I was waiting for more ideas of what she eats, more report, and I realized that that's really it, that her texture sensitivity is so heightened that she's trying to live off of mashed white potatoes, which in essence is a plate full of carbohydrates, which makes diabetes very difficult to regulate. What didn't help her were doctors telling her to eat a wide variety of food because texture-wise, she really couldn't support that process of getting in these other textures and fibers and nutrients. When we understood that this was neurologically based, we were able to work with her and she could say that sometimes she could tolerate a teaspoonful of peanut butter And she also could sometimes tolerate uh, a nutrition shake. And so we did focus on uh, the nutrition shake part of it, which was easy to get her more supply of. And we also kind of played around with her ability to tolerate some cauliflower in her potatoes or some nutrition supplements. And some of those ideas worked really well and some of them didn't. Other times, what we saw was that um, one idea would work one day, but really not the next day. And that's okay. We ended up with a much better nutrition profile for her uh, because we understood the neurologic underpinning of that texture avoidance. We didn't just send her home with a pamphlet that told her to eat different foods. I had another client that told me that she can tell what kind of a day she's going to be having um, by what it feels like to brush her teeth in the morning and what it feels like to eat breakfast, that those textures in her mouth first thing in the day kind of gave her a summary sense of what her body's reactivity was that day. And it's kind of that same feeling that the body can be quite reactive to its environment. And that feels draining. It feels um, anxiety provoking. Another characteristic that many individuals on the spectrum uh, present with would be that tendency to dive into an interest, um, to be really intensely interested in something so that when they are Uh, interested in a topic that they may tend to be all in, they dive in, rather than being interested in a wide variety of things on a surface level, they tend to have one or two things that they might dive into. Again, this is not a characteristic that is required for a diagnosis, but for autistics who tend toward that pattern, they may have this intense interest in things related to food or weight. Some will be intensely interested in nutrition or health, physical activity and exercise, and sometimes also just the particular body type that they have, the way that their body has changed over time. They may really take a lot of measurements. They may take tallies of calories or uh, meta-nutritive data. So I had this much protein, I had this much carbohydrate, and and all of this may be tracked over time. And so it can be part of this very intense, kind of detailed approach to the topic of nutrition and exercise. You can see how someone who has this approach can also end up having a limited range of nutrition or very strict rules about eating or not eating. There are also people on the spectrum who really want things to stay the same, which is another characteristic of autism, this attention to detail and wanting things to repeat rather than change. And this can add to this profile of restricted nutrition by having all of this intense focus on the detail of what they're eating and really not feeling flexible about the number on the scale or what they measure um, in certain circumstances. I've had clients who really struggle when their body changes, even if it's with pregnancy or adolescence, and they just want their same body to be consistent. So they'll really try to replicate that over time by adjusting a lot of things about their activity level and their diet. They may say, I was 117 uh, pounds in high school, and I want to stay that. That is my body. I want to be 117 pounds when I'm 52, and so I put all of this time and energy into tracking out what's going to be my ritual for eating, what are going to be the rules that I eat by, what are going to be the categories of calories and nutrition that I'm getting. Now, sometimes this focus on nutrition can be helpful, but for the autistic, where it really goes very far and lacks flexibility, it can lead to uh, real problems where the person is just consumed with this intense focus about nutrition and intake and body image. So for the autistic that has all three of those characteristics, the sensory processing, the intense interest, and the real commitment to things not changing, things repeating, and things being um, ritualistic in their approach to eating. You can see how that this would put the individual at risk for having an eating profile that really does not promote their well-being and having a lot of intense focus on details related to their body image and to their intake um, as well as just that tendency to maybe avoid certain foods because of textures. One of the things um, I notice is, is that people often have food jags as well, is what I call them, which which refers to this tendency on the spectrum to eat repetitively. So I eat and eat and eat a particular food and, um, for a couple months or a year or two years, and then I switch to a different food. So I may be super interested in eating beef jerky for uh, many months, and then all of a sudden it's yogurt and pretzels. So those are what I would call food jags, and that can be um, present as well, where perhaps the person isn't as impacted by texture, but they have this limited nutrition profile because They tend to eat these one or two things repetitively over time. Another thing I notice is that for people who like repetition in their eating, they may lean toward packaged food and fast food. And I know that, you know, those foods are just yummy anyway. Everybody feels like those are comfort foods. But I do think that one of the benefits that people experience on the spectrum is that they're very, repetitive they're always the same like this potato chip bag is always going to taste the same and if you go through this drive-through to get your burger and fries you can really count on that staying the same it's going to be replicable it's going to be repeated and there isn't going to be that kind of variation you can get with home cooking even when I put a pizza in the oven sometimes it heats unevenly or it's too crispy on one side, it's not cooked enough on another. And so for the person on the spectrum whose neurology really wants um, predictability, who really wants repetition, who really wants a certain texture profile, uh, those are sources to get food that the person on the spectrum may really lean toward where I can count on this item being what I, what I want at this particular time. Now other people on the spectrum struggle with their eating profile because they don't have a good sense of when they are hungry and when they're full. And that is a sensory processing difficulty in an area that we call interoception. That's the awareness of what's happening in the inner body. Am I tired? Am I in pain? Do I have to use the bathroom? So, for people who struggle to be aware of what their body needs, they may go through spurts of either overeating um, to really a significant degree all of the time, or um, undereating, so I'm not even aware that I'm hungry, um, or a mixture of both. Um, so, some people seem to always want that sense of fullness and so they'll go after uh, food repetitively and they seem to like that sense of fullness Uh, but it just doesn't last long enough and so they keep eating. Another person may be so interested in their intense interest so they might be diving into a video game or quilting or researching volcanoes and Before you know it, they've gone 18 hours and they've forgotten to eat or drink. And um, all of a sudden, they might be starving. Um, So that awareness of what the body needs at any given time, it may not break through consciousness very well. And if a person even says, hey, it's dinner time, do you want to eat? They may say, no, no, I'm not hungry, when really they just don't have a great awareness of the hunger, of the thirst. And then when it does break through consciousness, it's gone too long, and then they're starving. And so then you can go in this pattern of, I haven't eaten for 18 hours, uh, and now I overeat. I'm starving, I stuff myself, and now I'm uncomfortable for a couple days because I've just felt so overstuffed. And now I haven't eaten again. So you can have this very uneven uh, kind of eating profile where you're eating not enough and then too much. So there are many reasons that someone on the spectrum may lean toward having an uneven eating profile, an uneven nutrition profile, uh, even to the point where it becomes really unhealthy. Uh, But it is important to understand when that eating profile is present as part of autism because we can see that it has a neurologic underpinning then, that the brain connectivity and the brain signals are really impacting their ability to eat regularly. Knowing that the brain signals are involved helps us to do our best to realize how to come alongside that individual to help them with um, a better nutrition profile with a more consistent eating pattern. So as I said, someone may need to take supplements or vitamins or they may need their vitamin levels checked. They may need um, some nutrition powders added to a shake that they will will eat. Uh, Sometimes they may need to have food right next to them at the computer so they really can reach over and take that bite, or they might need to schedule their food um, with the awareness that if they don't do that, they're gonna go too long or too short with that kind of uneven eating or not eating. So I hope you can see that there are a myriad of ways that our neurology can impact our eating patterns, particularly within the autism spectrum, And when you're looking at eating patterns or you're working with people who have eating disorders, I hope you're aware that it's really important to consider that they may be even undiagnosed on the spectrum. We need to understand that eating patterns are things that should be monitored for the individual on the spectrum and that we should come alongside them to help them get the nutrition and the wellness that they need. Thanks for joining me for this episode about eating and autism. And I hope you join me for the next episode.